Welcome to Spiritual Onion. In the previous podcast, I left us in the belly of the whale. Why is that? Because unless we go down, we do not know what up is. Unless we descend, we won't be ready to make inner space for true ascent. Descent begins with confessing our suffering in the belly of the whale, perhaps time and time again. Confession risks giving words in front of another to our failures, our hurt, our wounds, our stuckness, or our lack of meaning. Richard Dwar points out the proper order for the process of transformation. First, it is downward into the realm of soul, and then the spirit movement upward. Dying precedes rebirth. Death comes before new life. Suffering is experienced before healing. And it gets worse usually before it gets better. The poet Robert Bly was in his mid-forties when he realized the possibility that my life was not going to be a series of triumphs, that what was being asked of me was not to ascend, but to descend. This was contrary to the upward-pointing American way and a society that honored victory, not loss, answers, not questions, pride, not shame. Yet as James Hillman said, which Bly was fond of quoting, the spirit is like fire, it wants to fly up, but the soul is like water, it wants to descend. Likely you've seen the famous painting of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It pictures a beatific Jesus kneeling at a massive rock hands folded piously, gazing serenely into heaven, an aura of light ringing his head. There's no sign that there is anything amiss in Jesus' universe. This despite the Gospel writer Luke stating that in his anguish he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Scientifically, we know that if our anxiety is great enough, the capillaries near the surface of the skin break and we will bleed from our pores. Nevertheless, this is not the Spirit's image of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Any pain, any anguish, any anxiety, any suffering has been erased from his brow. No one would know that he is facing crucifixion. In this painting, he is transcending all that. He is rising above it. Yet, in one of my visits to Gethsemane Monastery outside Bardstown, Kentucky, I was walking the land across the road from the monastery. I came upon a grove of trees that seemed out of place in the open fields. Then I noticed an opening in the grove. Very strange. As I deepened my walk into the stand of trees, I came upon a life-size stone carving of a man sleeping, 
It startled me. What the? Why was it here? When I went further in around a bend, another carved man, and then yet another. As I went around yet another bend, I was stunned and shocked by a life-size stone carving of Jesus, kneeling with his head thrown back and his hands covering his face in agony. Here was Saul's depiction of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Alone, his friends having all fallen into unconsciousness, the fear so great it was not possible to stay awake and aware. Jesus, alone, desperate, anxious beyond words, suffering, staring him in the face, suffering so great that he cannot bear to look it in the eye. Spirit itself must bow down to soul. Spirit must be crucified so that soul can do its dark work. Again, the poet Robert Bly says we can get nowhere until we first go down into the ashes, into the grief. We must experience loss if we want growth as a person, but so often we want growth without loss. We want Easter without Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Without sadness and loss, we are without soul. Loss brings depth. It takes us down from the surface of things. For example, depression pulls us down into soul. But how often do we ask what soul wants in the depression? What prevents us from moving forward? What keeps us stuck? Depression slows us down. Could it be in order to see what is missing in our lives? Perhaps where we've taken a wrong turn, where we've avoided our losses, where we've strayed from what soul wants. Eric Hoffer said, you can never get enough of what you don't really want. <laughs> it's a tremendous truth. You keep accumulating more and more stuff, but what you really want is something that you can love. You want something with soul. Too often, though, we choose distraction. The soulful image from the great three days of Holy Week is Jesus in the tomb, for three days. To be underground is to be in soul. I sometimes use this image in psychotherapy. Good psychotherapy wrenches us away from the day-to-day -day and pulls us down into the depths where we engage a process over which we have little control. The process runs us. We do not run the process. No telling when we will come back up onto solid ground or what we will look like when we do. For some time now, though there's been an unconscious resistance to psychotherapy fueled by our one-sided, spirit-fueled culture. For example, let's take a couple who have been experiencing a lifeless and conflictual relationship for years. They make the courageous decision to come into therapy. 
At the end of our first session, I honestly share that I believe we can work with all their issues, but it will take some time. Of course, they ask, how much time? My reply is often, at least a year of coming once a week. Typically, the couple cannot believe it. A year? A year? They want a quick fix. Even though the relationship has been in decline for years, they imagine it will only be a couple weeks to achieve a healthy, enlivening relationship. And let's not forget that this is without knowing whether one or both bring past traumatic issues into the relationship that may require individual work. Often it is the same with individuals. Let's look again at depression. Despite the culture's captivation with a biochemical fantasy, most depressions are contextual. That is, very present and or past experiences are fueling the depression. But with the assistance of insurance companies who also want quick fixes, an antidepressant is often the chosen route. Despite data which suggest antidepressants may not work that well for most people. Isn't it somewhat diagnostic that so many people cannot seem to find one hour in their week to come for psychotherapy, where in a safe setting the person can reflect upon their one life? Better to stay busy, says Spirit. And as an aside, I will admit that about 80% of therapists verge on being incompetent. More and more, present-day training is superficial, and many therapists have not done their own work. As a therapist, you can only take a client as far as you have gone yourself. So, soul is not a substance but it is a way of seeing, a lens of depth. Soul is not speedy. My analyst Tom Kapasinskis would often remark, let's slow it down. This indicated that there was much under the surface that needed attention, or he would remind me that we were waiting on psyche. And psyche, soul, moves slowly. Here it was not so much about me, what the Scott ego wants, but about Psyche and what she wants. Psyche invites us to follow her down, into the depths, into the darkness, where our light still shines, into the hells of our making and the makings of our ancestors, into soulful meanings related to dying, death, and transformation. Without soul, our experiences remain superficial events. The lens of soul makes connections between present and past and provides inklings for future paths, thus establishing a sense of continuity about our sense of self. In this way, soul sheds light in the darkness where possibilities are imagined through reflection and contemplation. Heinz Kohut, the father of self-psychology, remarks that the wider and deeper our theories, the more we see. 
Or as the Greek philosopher Heraclitus stated, you could not discover the depths of soul, even if you traveled by every path in order to do so. Such is the depth of its meaning. Soul is the lens par excellence, providing depth of meaning, personal expressions of hard-won wisdom, and complexity of thought. Take the concept of sin. New Testament Greek consists of word pictures. The image for sin is of an archer who draws an arrow from his quiver, aims at the bullseye, and misses. That's it. But in the hands of spirit-filled, angry preachers, sin becomes something for which we are judged and condemned. We are consigned to hell. We need a savior. It's Jonathan Edwards' early American fiery sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sin through the lens of soul is a matter of contemplation and self-reflection. How did I miss? I was really trying. Why did I miss? Consciously or unconsciously? Let me try this again. <clears throat> Perhaps I can find a way to become better at this. No judgment, just growth in self-awareness. First soul, then spirit. Al Green, Otis Redding, James Brown, George Clinton, Gil Scott Heron, the Allman Brothers, Roberta Flack, Jason Isbell, and Aretha are soul music. We cannot define it, but we know it when we hear it. Something about emotion, syncopation, the beat, the sweat, the suffering. Barry Manilow, Michael Bolton, Creed, Celine Dion, Kansas, Nickelback, Rush, and Lawrence Welk ain't got no soul. You know it when you hear it. Your foot won't tap and your booty won't shake. By definition, fast food is speed. We drive through. We are annoyed when it doesn't just fly out the window so we can quickly be on our way. Fast foods tend to be high in saturated fat, sugar, salt, and calories. Fast food has been linked to increased risk of cardiovascular disease, colorectal cancer, obesity, high cholesterol, insulin resistance, and depression. What I will call real food takes time to prepare. Cooking is not quick work. The Key West chicken I made yesterday had to be marinated for hours. The summer fruit salad took time to cut pineapples, strawberries, cherries, time to defrost the blueberries to make the dressing. Think of soul food where briskets and pork butts are slow cooked for hours. But one thing spirit and soul have in common is that they are not practical. They take us out of ourselves into their worlds of height and depth. Both spirit and soul are related to the centrality of suffering and the Christ pattern of suffering, dying, and death. So first soul and then and only then rising again. First comes the downward movement of soul, 
and then the upward movement of spirit. Without spirit submitting to and being connected to soul, contemporary faith has become a watered-down ego religion. Rather than scriptures being a revelation of a spirit-soul world behind this world, we now see scriptures as containing eight steps for a happy marriage or biblical guidelines for financial success. Outside of the spiritual and soulful teachings of Jesus, the Bible becomes a book of exclusion for those who don't fit into a world that faded long ago. What I've noticed lately is that we no longer have stories. Lives are fragmented. For many, their lives no longer make sense or provide meaning. No longer do we construct and connect the stories of our lives. We have events, not experiences. We have brands, not personhood. We have influencers for products no one really wants or needs. We no longer tell stories of our lives. The stories we tell are about celebrities, the latest pop culture news, that funny video, the hot new whatever. We are all a Twitter. We have Facebooks, not storybooks. Unless we can bring our experiences together in a narrative, we cannot change the narrative. We remain stuck, stunted, stultified, and soulless. I recently spoke at a memorial service for a great friend. I had known him since junior high school. In reflecting on his life, I was able to tease out the theme that ran throughout his life. He had lived his life as a healer, as an ally, as a champion of the soul of the world. He spent his life working for and calling others to work and fight for social responsibility in the business world. His is a story worth remembering. Without our life as a soulful and spiritual story, we are lost. It's just the daily grind, a few laughs along the way, isolated events, getting buzzed one way or another, life often full of regrets and resentments. At Yale University stands the Sterling Memorial Library, built in 1930. A carved phrase in Latin on the library's Wall Street facade reads, Make haste slowly. Here is our soulful and spirited guidance. Make haste slowly. Hey, the song we're going to do is an original song by our band Easy Blossom that tries to combine soul and spirit called Dance While the World is Dying. And next time, I'm going to take a look at a word that's been bandied about in our culture for quite a while now. It is narcissism. I'd like to take a look at what the word actually means and how narcissistic injury developed in our culture. I hope you'll take a listen. Be well.
Well, the world 